All right, King let's get it. Let's get it. I'm going to take a little shot from my ancestors, you dig? I had to. I get so high, I touch the sky that I can't even function. I get so high, I fuck around and want to leave the function. Okay. The only thing that's on my mind is I'm going to leave with something, but it's nothing. We rope with the tussins, and we going to get it. Damn, he's trying to get led already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just doing as the song say. <laughs> you gotta uh-huh. tell us how you got on the song too, man. I'll tell you everything. <laughs> you actually still able after performing these songs for so long and hearing them so long. They still get you moving, man. Of course. I haven't heard this song in a minute, though. I haven't heard Get Lit in a minute. But I remember when this motherfucker came out, I heard it all the time. This is an ASAP song, ain't it? Yeah, man. Right. You know what? This is actually... Man, I remember... I met um, Lil Yachty and Ian Connor at ASAP Rocky's house. Rented house for South by Southwest once, and they were going on and on about how Get Lit was their favorite ASAP song. I'm like, they like, yeah, you were rocking. It's y'all best shit. Y'all need to do some more shit like this together. Like, yeah, man, I think so too. I also think it's Rocky's best song. That's his best mixtape for sure, man. His best, his best project, in my opinion, man. That yeah, shit classic has, tape, Houston man. Houston sound it had on it, man. Classic dog. R.I.P. Yams, man. Visionary yeah, guy. Definitely. Did you meet him too? So the whole reason why I was even on that tape is because of Yams. Oh, wow. I was living in Brooklyn for a summer. This was summer of 2011. I was rocking with this rap group called That's Racist, and they had a label called Greedhead. Okay. And me and my producer, Shaka, a.k.a. Tom Cruise, C-R-U-Z, a.k.a. now he goes by GoldenEye, we were working on the follow-up to my first album, Rabbler Gab. Mm-hmm. Our follow-up record was going to be called Double Dragon. And um, we were also making, like, Double Dragon was our duo album where, where we both rap and he makes the beats. We were also doing my next solo album, which was Smart Ass Black Boy, where it was just me solo rapping and him doing the beats. Yeah. But during that summer, I met Yams because he had this... uh Tumblr called the Real Nigga Tumblr, okay. where he would like post about like regional rap, like Houston rap, <laughs> Memphis rap, classic Bay rap, Atlanta rap, New York shit, you know, like Dipset and like Prodigy and, and Mob Deep and just all this kind of like cool music that not a lot of people were covering on the internet, but certain sites were like this blogger Nas's site called Cocaine Blunts and his other Tumblr called Tumbling Herb. But any, anyway. Yams, I met him via Twitter. He was like, yo, I have this artist, Rocky, who records at your friend Daniel Linus's studio. Will you pull up to our session? I want to introduce y'all. We're big fans of Houston music. We like know you're from Houston. Uh, I got OG Ron C to chop my uh, first album. Okay. And Yams that posted hard that too, on man. his Tumblr. So I think... Maybe that's how he first heard of me through um my first album being chopped by Ron C. But anyway, I went to Daniel Linus's studio. Me and uh Shaka pulled up. I met Yams face to face for the first time. I met Rocky. I met uh ASAP Nas. I think was there too. Yeah. And um, we and just kicked it all too. night, man. And we were just you know smoking, drinking, and talking about music. They were so into Houston music, it really blew my mind because I think. That was one of the first times that it really dawned on me that people outside of Texas knew deeply about Houston music. And I don't mean just the hits, like he knew Screw Tapes, Botany Boys, mm-hmm. like he knew, you know, the Dead End Alliance. Like they, they knew all type of deep 90s Houston rap music. And, um, that night we just kicked it. They, uh, recorded Rocky Song Peso and then they were recording this Get Lit song. And, um, Rocky was like, yo, will you just talk on this track? Just like talk <laughs> on it like the way you would talk on like a screw tape. Just like giving like shout outs and just talking about what's like going on in the room and shit. And that was my feature. I think it's so cool that I, that I didn't even do a verse. I'm just like <laughs> talking, talking my shit <laughs> with my normal voice. And I, and I feel like that's actually a more authentic feature because it adds to the vibe of the track. Yeah. 
For sure, man. Yeah, it's crazy how, you know, there's so many stories like that about ASAP Yams, man. He made so yeah. many connections happen. I don't think people really realize because he wasn't an artist himself, really. But people don't really realize how many connections he made happen in the music scene alone, man. Yes. Like, so, yeah, definitely R.P. Yams. Yeah. Yeah. Great, um, great guy, visionary guy, <laughs> funny ass dude. Yeah, definitely. His uh Twitter is still up. If yeah. you ever need yeah. to smile, look it up. He got some <laughs> hilarious content on there. <laughs> that nigga was crazy. For sure, for sure, for sure, man. Um so let's introduce everybody first because yes. you know we usually do that. But um no, that was a good story, man. So we had to kick that off first. But um if you haven't realized it yet, we have a very special guest joining the podcast today. This is the Gems and Juice Podcast, special edition. Mm-hmm. Um special special guest today, man. You know, we usually we've had a few guests. We've had some legendary MCs. We've had Willine. Uh, Willine of the mm-hmm. Botany Boys. We've mm-hmm. had Point Blank on ESG. ESG on as well. Hell yeah. And we usually with them we do like a hip hop history lesson. We're going to mix things up a little bit, man. We got somebody of the newer kind yeah. joining us today. Yeah. New old nigga. Yeah. Yeah. Third Wars <laughs> only. I'm the uh, latest addition to the old head crew. You a middle child like J. Cole, man. You, you, oh, thank you. you, thank, you, you. thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> yes, but we have uh, the, the great MC himself, Fat Tony, joining us, man. Let's give it up for him. Yes. <laughs> I love the applause. Thank you. <laughs> we usually have some sound effects, but, you know, we, we, we mixing it up today. Just keep it organic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so, yeah, happy to have you there. Also joined by the lovely Jasmine and my man, Figgy Fig himself. Y'all actually went to his show last night. Yeah. yeah. So good yeah. that y'all was turning up. Be honest. Good time. Be honest. How was it? It was, <laughs> it was good, right? man. Yeah, no. No, it was really good. The, the first two asked, I, I, I talked about it earlier with you. It was pretty interesting because... I did not expect that type of music. Well, I got to switch it up, man. You know, I I booked the show. The two acts that he's talking about are this great young Houston punk band, mostly comprised of niggas of color, called (laughs) Fade Em All. (laughs) And also Michael LaCour, formerly known as Blackie, who is a noise artist. Um, And he is one of my oldest friends in this music shit. I did my first tour with him in 2011. Like, he is my straight up peer. He is my brother. Like, when it comes to music, he is somebody that is not only my friend, but he has deeply inspired me as an artist. Mm. Just in his spirit. Like, he always, you know, I mean, I don't know if you could tell from watching him, but he puts his all into it. He is experimental he is honest he is someone that i can truly say gives a thousand percent of himself in every single performance and it's been that way since the moment i met him and i met him in the most pure way there used to be this venue in midtown called the mink and i saw him perform there no 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 no. actually how i first met him is my ex booked him for her art show that was in a warehouse space in 2007. And he brought all these big ass speakers and climbed on top of the speakers and was basically doing his noise shit. But he was rapping more then. Like it, mm-hmm. it was more like three, six mafia type beats, super loud mm-hmm. with his noisy shouting, rapping over yeah. it. And, um, I was blown away by it. And then later I ran into him at the mink i just went to the show and he just had to be performing there and i was like yo it's the same dude this motherfucker's crazy (laughs) i need to link with him yeah so yeah and i and i booked it that way because i feel like even though our genres might seem different on paper from noise to punk to rap i think all of us are fans of one another all of us share the same spirit all of us got it out the mud we make music on our own terms we are diy to our core even if there's a label or some reps involved. And that's the kind of people I want to perform with, you know, like I'm, I'm not in music just to do shit with, with whoever's hot or whatever's clever for the moment. Like I want to rock with people who share my values. Yeah. And it's funny because that's what I took away from the whole show that all of y'all had different type of music, but y'all had the same energy. Mm. So the, the, the first guy, um, what's his name? Michael, Michael LaCour. Yeah. 
it blew me away because I never seen nobody play a sax. Was that a saxophone? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the I'm, saxophone really, fir- really took me off guard. Yeah, my first thought, I'm like, what is he doing? A saxophone yeah. is supposed to be sexy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so he like- made it so dark. So uh after he finished, I'm like, damn, I, you know, it wasn't bad. I'm like, that was really interesting. I'm, I got to look this guy up. Yeah, check him out, man. His He um mostly has put out music as Blackie, all caps, with spaces. And it's the word Blackie, B-L-A-C-K-I-E, each letter spaced apart. Mm-hmm. He has several albums out. Many of them are different. All of them are super loud. His, like, early ones are more rap-heavy. A lot of people say that he influenced uh the Death Grips and Kanye West's Yeezus album, but in my opinion, his music is much more interesting than any of that. You know, not to take away from them because I, because the Death Grips are cool and I like the Yeezus album, but Blackie Michael Lacour shit is some next level original shit, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. what one thing I took away too. Just looking at and observing the crowd, I love to see people support. Everyone, people to support different genres. I've never been to a heavy metal concert, so that was an experience. And then mm. seeing you and just everyone still being into it, no matter who was on stage, everyone was there supporting and just into it. And I appreciate stuff like that. I've never had that experience before, so it was good. And then your set, I was kind of talking to you about too, um, the fact that you DJ mm. in the midst of your set and create his own transitions. And I, oh, it was, it was great. It was really great. I um, do my own stunts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciated it, and I definitely definitely gained a fan. Um, Pave Text has been you. putting us on, trying to put us on for the longest. And, Thank you, bro. You know, yeah. I've listened here Shout and there, Pave but text. seeing it was nothing like seeing you live. So yeah, man. You know, honestly, being a performer is my favorite part of being a musician. Mm-hmm. Like, I love making music. I love getting the artwork together. I love making videos. I love planning the rollout. I love every aspect of making music. But my absolute favorite is being on stage and performing it live. That's when I feel like I get the biggest joy and I get to physically show you what this music means to me. Do you work out at all? How do you keep that energy? I I do work out a tad, you know what I mean? <laughs> I like mostly do I I mostly do a lot of cardio because I want to keep my like my uh my like heart rate up and you know keep keep myself from being too like winded when i'm performing Mm -hmm. um but i also try to just play a lot like i think there's nothing nothing beats rehearsal so when i'm getting ready to go on tour or play a show i will exercise three to five times a week and i will rehearse every single day the whole show at least once or twice Gotcha, gotcha, yeah, because you were definitely, you didn't look tired up there, so it's, it's paying off. I, I actually <laughs> cut some songs. I was like, man, it's getting late, man. Let me send them home. Cause I, you know, leave me to my own devices. I'll play all night because I mm-hmm. do this shit. I like do this shit in front of a crowd. I do this shit when no one's home. I do this shit when my girlfriend's home. Like, it don't matter who is around. I do this because this is what I love, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I always appreciate that, man, when artists really value the live performance part. We had Jack Freeman on the podcast as well. Great dude. He's like that, too. He really is. Funny dude. Yeah, he's hilarious, man. You'll talk your head off, but he's hilarious, man. (laughs) That deep voice. (laughs) I'm jealous of his damn voice, man. He has a fucking fucking baritone voice. Um, But, yeah, uh, people who really... Uh, value the live performance part of it because I feel like that's kind of a lost art. Yeah. You got rappers out here singing over their vocals or rapping yeah, over yeah. their vocals. You know, you could tell they just do it to get the check. Yeah. You know, and it's becoming kind of a lost art to really, I mean, have live instruments in there, really mix it up for the crowd, give them a true show. I mean, there's a few out there. I'm not saying they're all like that, but I do think that's becoming kind of a lost art for people who really enjoy putting on a show for an intimate crowd or even a big, any kind of crowd, man, and really moving them like that. So, well, I think all the artists that I looked up to growing up were great live performers from Prince to a tribe called quest to De La Soul to three, six mafia to UGK to Devin, the dude, Yeah, you know, all of these people, I admired their live shows whether I saw them in person or watched videos of it. And that's what I always aspire to be. Like, I want to be a great entertainer, put on a great show where you can come to my show and you can watch me perform my songs, DJ my songs, 
show my DJ blends, just talk to y'all and just vibe out and just, you know, just like show y'all something fun, man. Show y'all something honest. You know what I mean? Okay. That's the part I liked about the show too, man. You was DJing yourself. Usually you got artists that got mm-hmm. the DJ and all that stuff. All they do is walk around, but. For the simple fact, you was blending, you was mixing, and all this stuff, and, and performing. nice transitions. I'm yeah. That's my biggest pet peeve. You can DJ, you can call yourself DJing, a DJ, but if the transitions aren't smooth, if they're not nice, then I don't want to hear it, honestly, yeah. and you you mastered <laughs> that. So. Yeah, and w- the one thing I love, too, man, the, inf- the infamous video of you dancing, Drinking, uh, oh. you, was da- you, um, the uh, neon moon, yeah, and, and two and the, short matches, yeah, man. <laughs> that's I didn't even know that was you for the longest until oh, recently. I'm like, damn, that's dope. So, um, yeah, yeah that is dope, that man. is something that I did. It's kind of like you just I've been doing that in my shows about three years now because I feel like it's a good transition into my hood party song yeah. because it shows my, you know countryside and it shows my love for bay area rap music and i got a few songs that are around the same tempo and just wanna, you know i want to provide some context to what i do too you kind of vibing too it's like you being at the crib by yourself you exactly. dancing you looking in the mirror and you doing all this other stuff it's dope man i, I wish he more people it. do i don't know what camera man. i'm looking at but he said <laughs> <laughs> okay okay now, for those who don't know, that's the DJ Envy tagline for when he ain't done his own, <laughs> when he ain't done no research on an artist. For those who don't know, but now, nah, man, for real, you mentioned your influences. And so take us back from the beginning of your hip hop journey. You know, you grew up in Houston from Third mm-hmm. Ward. Um, talk to us about, you know, kind of how you started in rap, how you got into the music, the culture, how you became a rapper and how you eventually moved and, you know, all your career moved since then. Okay, let me tell you, I'm going to try to condense this shit, but let me tell you how I got hooked, right? So I was in middle school in the early 2000s, and I remember I was walking to my seventh period history class, and I had a Walkman. I'm dating myself. Okay. And I was listening to 97.9 The Box. And they played Cameron Oh Boy. Okay. And it was the first time I ever heard it. Now, prior to that, I, I loved music. I've been obsessed with music since day one. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I discovered the group Crisscross and I was like, wow, mm-hmm. there are children rapping. I want to be a, a rapper now. And I try to get Ace Town Legends, by the way. June 27th beat came from Crisscross. Oh, Chris yes, Cross. yes, yes. True, 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 true. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I love music. But anyway, I'm walking to class. I hear the old boy beat and I'm like, Yo, fuck it. Now, now's the time to get serious. So I go to my class and I'm sitting with my three friends, Patrick, Dedrick, and Keith. And I'm like, Dedrick, Keith, y'all gonna be rappers. Patrick, you gonna manage us. And I'm gonna be our producer and I'm gonna come back with some beats. So I went home and I found his website called soundclick.com. Oh, I'm yeah. also dating myself. I remember soundclick. <laughs> oh yeah. And I didn't have a CD burner. So I took a tape recorder, held it up to my speaker, <laughs> and I recorded some beats on a cassette tape. And I was like, guys, I found these beats. Um, let's, you know, let's like rock to these. And then I started to move away from wanting to be a producer and be more of a rapper. And I kind of followed that into high school. And in high school, I always liked all kinds of music, especially punk. And in high school, I got deeper into punk and I discovered that a big part of the kind of punk rock that I liked were people who would book their own shows, start their own labels, just kind of like really do everything themselves to, to, to get their band or their project off the ground. And I thought, why don't I apply that to what me and my friends want to do with rap music? Okay. So at the time, I had a rap group called the Low Ends with two friends in my high school and then I had another group with my friends from middle school that went to my high school. And then we had like little duos with each other. And I was, I was just like, yo, come over to my house. I like got a little radio shack mic, plugged it into my computer, got a little program. And I was like, yo, I'm going to record us. Like come over after school anytime and let's just make music all the time. And I just kept doing that. 
as my friends started to fall out of it, mm-hmm. one one by one, friends would move on to other interests. And I remember my group, The Low Ends, we had a show booked at Walters on Washington. And I was the only person that showed up. Oh, oh wow. Man. And I remember I had some like solo songs in that group and some solo shit that I was working on. So I performed the show with just the songs I had. And I remember after that, I was like, man, I'm going to make my own tape. And mm. I just never gave up, you know? Mm. And I remember I was a big fan of this group from Atlanta called Supreme. And I heard about them because I was a huge fan of this rapper, Murs, who's an L.A. Yeah. Under, underground rapper, right? Yeah. And he was a mentor to this group, Supreme, and he signed them to uh, Warner Brothers. And I remember listening to them, and I was like, man, these guys are kind of like me. Like, they like they like Cash Money and My Bloody Valentine and David Bowie and UGK and Three Six Mafia and Dilla and Slum Village. Like, <laughs> like I want to meet these guys. So I would message them, and... We just became friends and, and their producer, Shaka, has Houston family. So he came to Houston and was like, yo, I want to link up with you. And it just so happened that his mom's side of family lived two streets over from where I grew up. So when he gave me the address to pull up on him, I'm like, bro, I can walk to you. Like you right in my neighborhood. And I go there and it turns out his like aunt is my little brother's school teacher. And I, and like they like know my family. I'm like, damn. You're like family. It's like from my neighborhood. This is crazy. And we just hit it off. And I just remember he was like, man, let's make a project. I'm going to give you beats. And over a couple of years, we just worked on that. And that turned into my first album, Rabdar Gab. Now, did you ever actually do Rabdar Gab? Because I remember that I, program. <laughs> man, I, man, I never did it. I'm going to come clean. I never did it. But I always told myself that I wanted to name an album that. Like, I think maybe in like sixth or seventh grade. I was like, yo, I want to name a song or an album Rabbit Gab because that's something that people from Houston will get, yeah. especially if they grew up in my era. So, so I what just kept that, yeah. Rabdar Gab was a uh, program in uh, Houston elementary schools. It's called, it stands for read a book, do a report, and get a book. You're supposed to read an entire book, um, do a little report on the book, and if you send it in somewhere, you get a dollar for it. Mm-hmm. I never did it either. It seemed like too much work for a dollar. Yeah. Even back then, adjusting for inflation, man, a dollar wasn't much. So, <laughs> but I but I did do cool it name. for yeah. people that heard the album. I had this little campaign called List or Gab. Listen, do a report, get a buck. If you emailed me or mailed me to my PO box a review of my debut album, I would send you a dollar. And I got a bunch of letters of people being like, yo, it's so cool that you're doing this. You don't know. have to send me a dollar, but this is cool. What if somebody said it was trash? Would you still give them a dollar? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I was, word? I was like, yeah, because it wasn't about like, I'm, I'm I wasn't doing it looking for praise. Mm-hmm. I was looking for an honest opinion. It's my first album that yeah. I spent years making. Like I want people to tell me what they like and dislike because like as an artist, I like to take in people's thoughts on my work, like especially people whose opinion I really value because I want to grow and I want to see what my strengths and my weaknesses are, especially early on. So I was, I I always welcome that. Like I, I, I always looked at myself as like a student of music. So I would study my favorite artists. They're like moves from like, they're like moves as an artist to their moves on like the business side to how their stage show was. Like I've always wanted to be a great artist my entire life. And I think it takes a lot of work and a lot of, you got to really humble yourself to get to that point or to get close to that point. Now, when you're coming up, the most prominent rappers are people like Slim Thug, Paul Walk, Millionaire, yeah. Lil Flip, people like that. Did you ever feel pressured or kind of like your sound should sound different just because you're from or stereotype basically did you ever feel limited in a way because i guess if you're from new york you can be any kind of rapper if you're from new york really but in in houston people here a houston rapper they expect you to talk about swangers and elbows and screwed up and all that stuff so especially back then yeah there wasn't a whole lot of diversity so did you ever feel like you were trapped in a bubble and trying to escape or did you just do your own thing and 
Hell no, I never felt any pressure. The only pressure I felt was to be great. Okay. And I always felt the way to be great is to be original and be and be unique. And I think that's something that Houston should understand about itself. Like, the way that we make music, especially the way that we made music in our golden era of, like, 90s rap and, like, the 2000s Houston rap, we were on our own shit. We were different from everybody else. And each of those artists were very original or weird or left field if you looked at them in the greater landscape of rap around the country. And I think that that's what I always embraced about being from here, that you can come from here and be very original. Because Houston rap truly ain't just one sound. That's true. Devin the Dude sounds different from Ghetto Boys, sounds different from Pimp C, sounds different like, sounds different from like, uh, you know, SPC and like, you mm. like, Everybody had their own type of like swag and their own type of sound. And I think that's what makes Houston music so interesting because we do our own shit. So I felt the best way for me to honor being a Houston rapper is to be as original as possible and try to not sound like anybody else and develop my own shit. Okay. Okay. So where did you come up with the um, name Fat Tony? Okay. So because you know, you know, okay. we're near fat. <laughs> Well, like a lot he of people, he had a song about that on the first album, actually. Yeah, yeah my, uh, my first video is called "You Ain't Fat," just because I used to you do that all the fat. time. And 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 even when I made that song, I was fat. But I think people's <laughs> idea of like fat or like big when you name yourself that is you like a big pun mm-hmm. type yeah. motherfucker or something. But yeah. um, that name came from me being a big fan of Blink One Eighty Two. And they went on TRL and they held a contest to promote their new album where they were going to let an up-and-coming band come and visit them in their studio. And the band that won was this, like, unknown pop-punk band called Fat Tony. And I I remember Mm. watching that being like, yo, I love The Simpsons. I was obsessed with it. And I was like, wow, I've never seen Fat Tony used in another context before. And, uh... I was, I was like, this is kind of cool. So I, so I went to school and I started to like doodle it on like my like paper and stuff. And my friend next to me was like, yo, it's like that show like rap name now. Cause we're all like trying to come up with like rap names. We're like trying to do this rapper shit. This is post the old boy period when I ran to my friends. And I was like, yo, you gonna manage us. You gonna rap. You gonna rap. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's just a name that stuck. I like tried a few other names at the time. They was all lame, but. Fat Tony is the one that people like to call me, and I think it just fits, you know. It's a Houston name too, because exactly. you got people like Big Hawk and that you know. Pat. Yeah. Big Mo. As like time went on, I started to feel like, yo, a a way for me to honor the legacy of Houston rap is through my name, honoring artists like Big Mo and Fat Pat and Big Hawk, because niggas rarely use that kind of moniker these days, yeah. you know. Yeah. I did think it was a Simpsons nod, but I thought it was like a, a nod to Scarface too, like you know, and Rick Ross and something like that. Oh, uh, you fat Tony, you know? No, 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 no. I'm not a. I mean, I love watching crime movies. I mm-hmm. really love like crime TV and movies. I love the fucking Sopranos. And yeah, I like love movies where like. Niggas are just devious and fucked up and have very few likable qualities. <laughs> but um, for like me, for like me as a person and like me as a character, as an artist, that ain't nothing to vibe at all, man. Okay. We're just having fun doing my thing. So you recently made the move from Houston to L.A. Well, fairly recently, right? Well, I moved to L.A. for the first time in 2012. Okay. Um, And then I moved back to LA at the end of 2016 mm-hmm. and then I moved to Brooklyn at the top of last year in January so I've kind of bounced, bounced around a lot and for a little bit in uh in uh, 16 I lived in Mexico City okay um so yeah I moved around a lot man you know but I've I never got to go anywhere until I made music I never was on a plane I left Houston like maybe two or three times once for a funeral and like one or two times like a field trip. Like I never got to see anything until I made music. The first time I left Texas was to go visit my producer Shaka in, in Atlanta. And then I started to go to New York because he lived there 
and I wanted to keep working with him. So I would find shows out there, and it just like became part of my journey. And the move to Los Angeles was because of when I got my first record deal to make Smart Ass Black Boy and Double Dragon. They were like, where would you want to record your, your album? And I was like, man, I've always wanted to see Los Angeles. Like, I had visited there a couple times, but I never, like, spent a lot of time there. And I was really into the Beastie Boys, and I remember the Beastie Boys moved there to record my favorite album by them, Paul's Paul's Boutique. So I was like, oh, well, let me go out there. And we like, got a house in the same neighborhood that they lived in. I was like, let's see if I can soak up some of the vibes and make my music out there. <laughs> okay. Um, you also had a TV show on Viceland mm-hmm. with uh, Zach Fox. My nigga. It got canceled because white folks don't trust him. And man. for many more reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a dope show, man. I caught clips of it, uh, and it was hilarious. Thank so, you, man. Uh, how did that opportunity actually come about, and what was it like? Working with Zach. Are y'all still cool? Yeah. How'd that thing go? So I, when I first met Zach, okay, so I first met Zach and kind of got into the whole Vice Live shit because I co-created and hosted a show on Super Deluxe called Thrift Hall. And it was like a game show where we go into a Goodwill and two contestants try to create an outfit based on a theme. And then we have a judge decide who wore it best and then the loser has to post an outfit that's chosen by the winner that's usually like raggedy as hell and post it on their instagram <laughs> and um that like show was had like a nice run we had a bunch of fans we got a shit ton of views we had people like billy eilis and kuko oh, and john early and buddy and all kind of sick people on it and Zach Fox was, I think, on the first or second episode that we did. Um, and I knew a mutual friend of his and I just hit him up on like Twitter. And it's through Thrift Hall that I got the attention of Viceland and they called us all in to do a screen test and we all got it and it happened and it was here today and gone tomorrow. <laughs> it was a funny show, man. Well, I know TV's tough, but what what happened there? Is there anything you could talk about? Or I would say that it was a few problems. I feel like it didn't have enough time to develop properly. Yeah. And a lot of the people working on the show just didn't have the same taste or ideas or values as us. I think there was a big clash between us as hosts and what many of the producers wanted. Yeah. We just had totally different ideas of what this show could be and should be. And you know what? A big thing I learned about that project is there were so many days when people would leave the studio and leave the office mad, like they'd be mad about how the episode went or how their ideas got fucked up or how somebody fumbled the ball and just the energy of people not having fun doing it, I think, kind of ruins the core of any creative project. Like, I think when you're making art, no matter what it is, even if it's about expressing pain or anger or sadness or joy or laughter or humor or whatever, everybody involved needs to be loving what they're doing and having fun doing it, even when it's hard. And that's a show where I feel like, more often than not, people working on it were not happy with the way the shit was going and people were not being heard. And I feel like it was the kind of shit that was kind of doomed from day one. But I learned a lot about how to structurally put together a show far as the vibe of getting the right people together. And it really changed my life because it opened up the opportunities for me to have a chance to live in Brooklyn comfortably which is a place I've always loved and have visited and have basically lived in before, but pretty much crashed on like couches for extended periods of time. So yeah, changed my life for the better, you know? Okay. Okay. So it was a good experience regardless. Absolutely. RIP Vice Live. It was a dope show. Check it out on YouTube. You can see a bunch of clips there. Him and Zach. Good riddance. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Now, one of the hot topics now, because you are a independent artist. Mm-hmm. Signed to independent labels. Very independent label. Yeah. 
So that is a very hot topic right now, as you know. Because of Megan? Yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say Talk names, but yes. No, nah, say them names. <laughs> <Call them up. laughs> Jay Prince shooting shots, man. I know what's going on, bro. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so uh, that, that's a, that has become a very, very uh, timely debate on social media about um, the, the ethics of independent labels. Um, whether you still get, cause you know, those are big independent movements. Some people claim independent. They're not really independent. They but, sure do. Yeah. 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 You know how it goes. Um, but there, there's always a push to be independent, but now people are looking at it like, well, you know, these black people are still going to screw you regardless. And it's still, it's not worth it going independent. So what is your take on in, moving independent versus signing with the major label, the benefits, the, uh, the things that are are not really as cool with it as people might think. What what is your experience with the independent, uh, being as being an independent artist? I think it's about being in business with who is going to serve your needs and your goals. If your goal is to be a pop star, it makes sense to want to align yourself with a major label first and foremost, or a major investor first and foremost. If your goal is to be a big indie artist on the indie circuit, it makes sense to go after the biggest indies or the mid-tier indies. Um, my experiences have always been good because I've only put out four of my albums with independent labels. And the other half of my catalog is stuff I put out completely by myself. And all the deals I've done in my opinion, have been very fair because I always have the wherewithal to have a good lawyer on my side and just a good team to come and protect me and really school me on what I'm doing. I don't like to sign shit unless I'm fully informed on what is happening and what the risks are and what the losses might be if I do end up on the losing side of the agreement. Um, And I think it's really just about doing what, like, serves you and being honest with yourself and knowing that every check isn't the best check. It's about what's going to be the right fit for you because there are certain labels who could offer you a bunch of money, but not have the resources to work you the right way. Like not having the manpower to work you. I think it's really about more than just the funds. I think it's about having a team of people who are going to go out into the world and advocate for you the right way and set you up the right way. Like certain artists have a better chance of making it if they're playing this venue versus that venue or doing an interview with this press versus that press. Like everything has to fit and make sense for it to connect with people. I think every great artist has a story to them. And that story might not just be their life story, but like the story of their music, like, Oh, they make this kind of music and they associate with these artists and they're from here and they look like this. Like I think the total package has to make sense. And I think a lot of artists who are looking for their first big break are too quick to jump at anything and end up getting screwed over. And, and I think every artist gets like screwed over somewhat. I've only been screwed over in a distribution deal for my very first record I signed a bad deal and that was before I knew anything about anything, but I didn't sign a deal bad enough to really screw me fully out of my money, but it did teach me a lesson. And I'm glad that I had that happen with a low stakes project. You know what I mean? If it happened later in my life when I had more responsibilities, I had a more need for cash flow, it could have really hurt me. So, and also just with Megan, I don't know the full deal of her thing. I only read the J Prince Instagram post, but um, I hope that shit gets worked out, man. I know it's tricky, and I and I and I feel both sides of it. I feel the side of the people who are like, "Yo, I was an early investor. I gave you the resources, or I just gave you a loan." Um, and I feel like I want this back to, I I want to profit off my investment, not just break even. And then there's the artist who's like, yeah, you helped me at this point, but I did X, Y, and Z to really take it off the ground. So I deserve the, you know, the, the majority of this profit and it, and it can get messy, but I think people should just be fair, man. Like, I think you got to really look at 
the deals you make. Do you think that's? I know it's like a very sobering, like no, 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 no. <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> Do you think that's um, maybe the artist problem with not checking, or is that more mm-hmm. of the label? I person? I think it's because when, they, when when it comes to the artist, I think it's the artist themselves and everybody that represents them. I think everybody in an artist camp, even the artists, are accountable for all the decisions that are made in that artist's career. I kinda, yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're kind of biased because we did have Carl Crawford on the podcast before. Who is that? Carl Crawford's the, uh, the CEO of 1501. And that's Megan is the label Megan signed to. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Former baseball yep. player. We also met, well, Figgy met T. Ferris too. So yeah. we know like the people who are involved on that side. So we kind of, I mean, they're not assholes. It, it didn't feel like we met Diddy. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt yeah. like we met genuine dudes who really wanted the best it's for their a, artists. So it's just saying kind of odd because it's like, you know, everybody respect Jay Prince. Everybody respect Carl Crawford. Everybody respect T. Ferris. And for this situation to get like this, it's kind of like, dang, we don't want to say Megan Lyon or anything like that. But these guys never did anything like that. I ain't really hear too many stories yeah. Yeah. about them, you know, fucking over an artist or stuff like that. So. It's, I just hope they. I hope they get it together. I hope they work it out and continue to work together. It'll get worked out, I think, man. Um. So before you go, man, we got a few other questions. We do have a uh, segment called "What a Bro Knows," mm-hmm. where we kind of uh, is relationship topics. Okay. We kind of go back and forth on them, and they get spicy sometimes. But uh, I got a question for you, man. Just some randomly I thought up. Um, it's been kind of going around on social media. If you be Checking on Twitter like a creep like I be doing. But um, I'm on it. <laughs> so let's say you met a girl. She met checked all I don't know if you cuffed up or not, but let's say I'm extremely cuffed okay, up. Okay, well, fair enough. Let's <laughs> but say yeah, I have a great imagination. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you for playing along. Let's say uh you were you were uh shooting your shots, uh-huh. met a girl who checked off all the check marks. Yes. Fine as hell, smart, educated. I've been there. Yeah. The only catch is she has an OnlyFans account, and she'd be posting content on the regular. Now, I haven't investigated OnlyFans myself, but I, but from what I get, it's like a, it's, it's like a cam service, right? It's a subscription-based service where females post various videos of different content. Masturbating and like yeah, shit like well, that, right? They have to be that. Sometimes they scam you when they're only twerking. <laughs> okay, gotcha. a lot of uh, the, the genuine, yeah. the real ones are getting down and dirty for shit. Yeah. So, but you gotta pay the, to see all of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. business. It's a yes. okay, okay. Personally, personally, uh oh, I'm still fuck with her. Okay. Personally, okay. personally, <laughs> I'm gonna keep it real with you. And OnlyFans account. I mean, I've never dated anybody, far as I know, that like has had like a cam thing going on or has been a sex worker in any capacity but i think i'm open-minded to it especially going into it but i'm also open to getting to a point that like hey maybe this isn't working for me but i'm not gonna shut that down the front door i'm going to investigate it especially if it checks off all the other boxes because all those other boxes, to me, are more important than your occupation, at least from from the onset. So I want to see where it goes. And um, shit, a nigga like me might think that's kind of sexy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the top girls be making bank on there, man. They be posting their statements online like, ooh, this shit's easy. Like 15K a month, shit like that. Ridiculous numbers, man. Now, is it true man, they got nigga. um they got leaked or something like that? They're, yeah, they, ha- do, they do be getting leaked. Well, leaked just means that. You got my mind oh, wondering oh, now, no. like, man, do I need to find them? <laughs> no, I heard it got hacked. Is I, that true? It didn't get hacked. I think what happened is all the people who subscribe, they all got together and said, hey, let's post all the shit for everybody and let's ruin it for these women because we hate that the fact that they charge. Oh, that's fucked up. For free. Oh, man. That's fucked up. So, yeah. Fuck them incels that did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cold game, man. I don't know if I could do it, though, man. What What do you guys think? Because, Figgy, what, what if your girl was on a What are your fans? thoughts on it? Why, 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 why wouldn't you do it? Like, I feel like it would be cool at first. 
especially mm. if that's just extra income and I ain't got to do nothing to get it. She just got to do her own thing. But I feel wait, like, wait, wait, wait. You mean extra money for you or for well, further relationship? Oh, for like, okay. like, like, like y'all, like, like in, into y'all's like that, that, life. You it's know, it's like the Smiles and South Star song, man. My friends are your friends. Your <laughs> friends are my friends. You remember that shit? Your dough is my dough. My dough is my dough. Wow. <laughs> Yo, I, you, man, man, I, man, I wish we could like have folks call in, but this is a podcast because I, because I want to know what niggas think, you know? I, I, it's interesting. I've seen, I've seen different opinions. People agree with you and they're like, what's a big deal? I'm not insecure. Um, I admit I'm a little insecure when it comes to that, especially if like we're talking about a long future and then I got to think like, man, niggas don't see my girl naked, stuffing shit everywhere. Right. Like, <laughs> I had to work to get this and then they get this for the low, low price of $15.99 a month. Nigga. They could easily get in there and see what I had to work, buy dinners for, go to Nigga. movies with. Hear her whining. <laughs> she might be tripping though. She might be. I mean, she might be the one though, bro. She might Look, be the one, my nigga. I'm sorry, man. I'm keeping it funky you, with man. you, man. She might be the, be the one though. <laughs> you know, I bet it's some. You know, man, are you taking or marrying? I'm, I'm in between, man. No, okay. Well, if you ever become single, single. I hope that you meet an OnlyFans girl that is the girl of your dreams and you like, wait a minute, I was tripping. Because you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I'm a very progressive ass dude. And I remember way back in the day, I'm super op- open-minded. I'm fuck with everybody, right? My whole life. But I had this moment where I was talking to my friend about this girl I like. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can be in a relationship with her. Because she's not a black girl. Mm. And he was like, nigga, that's how you feel? Are you crazy? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. He's like, first of all, you're being ignorant because you don't know who you might meet and who you might fall in love with. You shouldn't limit yourself going into meeting people like that. And I know that sounds so not like me at all, but I had that <laughs> thought for like a second. And I... I always remember that because I'm just like, man, yeah, why would I trip like that? Like, you never know. You you got to really let it develop. I would think that if I dated a woman who had an OnlyFans account and she checked all the boxes for what I'm looking for in a partner, there would have to be something else that's a conflict between us that's more than just her job. It would have to be something within how we get along together or her personality or Something else. I think that there are bigger issues that could corrupt the relationship more than a person's job. Because I think, you know, jobs come and go. She might not be doing that forever. That's true. And her fucking customers, who who cares what they've... <laughs> seen or whatever like who fucking cares fuck them you don't even know them you wouldn't even even if you know them you might not know you know what i mean so don't but tell me you would like let's say you walk with your girl and then some dude gives you her gives her a special look he's like wait you you would think in the back of your mind like or even the homie (laughs) what if your homie subscribes to that homies account he's like bro check out this only fans account i'm in (laughs) Like, like I, wait. Like, your girl oh, got man. some nice titties, man. I can't <laughs> lie. It's just like, damn. Be the tiebreaker figure. What do you think, man? Would you be able to do it? I think it depends on the content, man. If it's, like, twerking videos, I, mm. I wouldn't care. Okay. But if she, like, busting it open and we see stuff that other people shouldn't see. I'm okay. I'm imagining her busting it, you know, anus, <laughs> you know, all that, you know. <laughs> That's tough, man. That's tough. We had to have a talk like, hey, how long you going to be doing this? How much money you making? (laughs) But, but what if, what if you join in though? They, they don't like it when men are there, man. Cause think about it. They just, they, they, cause usually, you know, all these IG girls that don't ever post a man, but you know, they cuffed up and they married, Mm, but they live the fantasy of I'm a single woman, so they seem attainable, so mm. you're more tempted to pay for it because you think that maybe I'll, I'll one day be able to meet her. Man, yeah, they they, they would honestly lose their fans yeah. if they was 
if they were shown cuffed up, I would probably give them an unfollow. <laughs> like, do you man, follow any OnlyFans accounts? I'm sure. Uh, oh, do I, no, 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 no. I don't subscribe. To <laughs> no, I thought you. Was, I thought you was talking about. Do I follow people who I mean, have? Do you one? use it? Do you? No, use I don't. Okay. I, I do not. I'm not paying right. to see no pictures. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. whatever. Groots over here. Y'all, y'all ain't into that. <laughs> I didn't you like kind of got me wanting to like check it out. I'm, you, I'm I mean, like, you should, man. There's some. Yeah. There's I'm gonna some, check it out, man. I'm, I'm gonna check it out. Man. It's a scary. I'm gonna. <laughs> it's kind of a scary moment because it'd be a look, good looking girl. You be like, damn, I wonder what she got on here. Should I pay this twenty dollars? Usually, I want to pay and then see the same pictures. You know. She posts on Instagram. Wait, it's pictures or video? <laughs> pictures and videos. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, to, I mean, to to avoid that, I, I'm not gonna say how I know these things, uh, but you definitely you usually would look them up on Twitter and mm. see what kind of content they post. And they usually say, "For more of this, uh. sign into my OnlyFans account." <laughs> so that's when you look it up and be like, "Okay, now at least I somewhat know what I'm paying for." But I don't know how I know that shit, man. I just read what other people say on the internet. You know, you're a journalist. <laughs> you investigate, yes, bro. Exactly. You got to investigate these things, man, before you talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> uh, thinking you got a what a bro knows question, man. You got uh, anything we could chop it up? I ain't with? got nothing right now. Okay. Nah. Okay. Oh man, you ran out. What happened, bro? <laughs> I'm hot now. What's next, bro? <laughs> I'm trying to think. What else we talked about? We could bring him in on it, man. Uh, we talked. Uh, what would you do? Oh, 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 what's a date? What's a date? What? What's what's considered a date? Uh, tell her about the story. Okay, so yeah. what is considered a date? I don't, wait, 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 hold on. Explain it. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if you've seen that clip with Rosario Dawson on the Jimmy Fallon show. It's my homegirl. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She she's in my ten thousand hours video. Oh shit. Oh okay. Oh damn. That's and dope, was man. on my show Thrift Hall. Oh shit. Y'all cool good, then. Good Y'all people, cool man. Then. Good people. Yeah, I fuck okay. with her. Okay. The long way. Okay. That's dope. Um. Yeah, I'm a fan of hers too, man. She's been in a lot of shit I've watched. Um. But there was there's a clip of her on Jimmy Fallon and Quest Love. I guess at one point tweeted Saw about. That. The the worst first date he ever had. He played himself. Yes, <laughs> because she said she asked if that was really a date because it was like ten of the niggas there, and then he got stuck with a bill. He thought it was a date, and me when Jasmine we we all had a whole argument about what is a date, man? Because yeah. is it just if you if a female don't think it's a date, it's not a date. But if we're paying for it, I kind of feel like it should be seen. Do we have to actually vi- literally say? I'm going to take you on a date for it yeah. to be known to be a date. And see, Jasmine, she was here uh, pretty much saying how a dude could take her out to eat. Yeah. But this is not a date. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, <laughs> we all have our own definitions, but me personally, I feel like it's not a date if you invite your niggas to pull up. <laughs> like, if I'm on a date with Rosario Dawson, I'm not telling most deaf to pull up <laughs> and then making him feel like the energy is he can bring his boys. Like, that's just goofy. I don't think he. <laughs> That's just goofy, I my think nigga. They crashed the date. I don't think he invited them. Wait, he but... like ran into them. I thought it was like some. All right, what I thought happened was he was chilling with Rosario. Mm-hmm. Him and Most Def were texting or something, and he's like, "Oh, pull up, we're here." Beck, I didn't think that was the case it could, i could be wrong you like thought they but just I thought ran they, into him yeah i thought right. they were all in the same place and then they just kind of crashed the date and then ordered I'd be shit like, nigga you gotta fall back bro. yeah like, you know, like quest love is so nice man he wouldn't say something like i'm that nice too but you, you can't can be cuss like out most death you, you ain't gotta notes. cuss him it's like <laughs> bro like oh good to see you bro i'm gonna holler at you okay i'm gonna see y'all later yo yo y'all doing something later y'all holler at me later man Turn my chair around. That makes sense, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard to do that to a gold MC, though, man. You, you got to do that. It man. don't matter, man. It's a bunch of times where I was with a chick and then uh, one of my homeboys came through. I'm like, yeah, get fuck out of here, bro. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, I, w- I will gladly do that, dude. I'll, Fair enough. Well, you gladly, hang around a lot of rappers. Gladly. Gladly. If, if, yeah, and I hang with rappers, and rappers <laughs> like to cling. Rappers like to be hangers on, so I know the deal. I know rappers. (laughs) It's hard to get rap niggas to leave the room, so you actually gotta be like, bruh, like, but I also think rappers respect the date because rappers are typically such fucking bros. (laughs) 
<laughs> the thing of you like, bro, you see me, you see what I'm working with. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Some old goofy shit like that. It'll be like, oh, bro, do you? I, I, I see you, bro, you know? And they'll leave your ass alone, man. Okay. I feel you. Sorry for Questlove, but it wasn't meant to be. I mean, she didn't think it was a date anyway. So Yeah, that, that was a that was a tough that was a tough one to take on national TV, man. Especially that clip was posted on YouTube and everything too. So yeah. I, I feel for I feel for him, man. I've been there too, so shit. Take that L. That's just tough, man. That's just tough. I fuck with Questlove though. Let it be known, man. I got a lot of respect for him, but uh, Rosario Dawson. Everybody was got homie, that moment man. though. Yeah, everybody got that he moment. Thought it was something different, and it wasn't. Yeah, yeah man. Hey, hey, it, hey, it happens. You know, I am. Uh, has that? I am sure that there's been times where I like went out with a girl that I was into, and she was like, "Oh, we just friends." I'm like, "Oh, is this some vibes going?" You know, it happens, man. <laughs> but you uh don't go tweeting about it before yeah, you know the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least don't have them bring it up on the show in front of her. Or don't call out the people whose name. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a tough L. I felt for him, man. He was like, this is national TV, you know. Nigga's a victim of <laughs> name dropping. Yeah. Oh, man. Quest Love is like the number one name dropper, too. He really is. He got a news story every day talking about, yeah. hey, it was me, Michael Jackson, Talib Kweli, and Jay Dilla all in a cypher. And it was just the most amazing moment in hip-hop. Yeah. Man, you can't believe you had to be there. Prince was there too. Like, dog, what? <laughs> Eddie Murphy pulled up. <laughs> Started telling jokes with and, the beat. And, and it's always like legends. It's always like, yo, I'm yeah. the greatest of all time. <laughs> <laughs> now, she would always have me rolling, man. I'd be wondering if he's embellishing that shit sometimes. Um, shoot, we don't want to hold you too much longer, man. I know you got places to be and things to do. Um, so we can wrap it up. How how do you feel about um because like you said you're a like we said you're a middle child you know mm-hmm. but it it is even though you're in your early thirties which is not old I'm in my early thirties too we yeah, all too. are here but uh I embrace being an old head though because in hip hop I will never forget I heard this story that Chuck D didn't want to do Public Enemy because he thought he was too old to rap and he oh, was wow. like twenty five wow. <laughs> <laughs> but Damn. sorry, go on. No, it's go all on, good, man. man. It's all good because that's actually another funny, weird topic about Chuck D and Public Enemy and Flavor Flay. But I, I, I have an opinion about that little bullshit right there. Okay, fuck it. Let's go there first. Okay. <laughs> what do you think about that? I three hundred thousand percent support Bernie Sanders from day one. Okay, I okay. fuck with him to his core. I think he is what America needs, and we're making a big mistake by backing Joe Biden. But Public Enemy, I I know that Chuck D's problems with Flavor Flav are bigger than P.E. playing this Bernie Sanders rally. But I think the way that it's going to appear to most people in the history books is that Chuck D kicked out Flavor Flav over him not supporting Bernie Sanders. And even though that might not be the entire story, I think that it's wrong because no matter how problematic Flavor Flav is, he's been that way since day one, but he is core to Public Enemy. And I think if I was Chuck D or Public Enemy or their reps or whatever, I would have pulled out of the Bernie Sanders rally, even though it's a great opportunity because I think the legacy of Public Enemy is more important than falling out publicly with your bandmate and your brother. I agree with that. Um, I also think that a group that a group like Public Enemy, and here's the thing, man, I know, you know, we're all people. We're going to have our politics. We're going to support our political candidates no matter what, because you feel a certain way. But I do feel like I don't like seeing black people use as props for certain campaigns Juvenile Did out you see there. I yes. was to, oh man. Like, I come on. Ain't yeah. nobody in that audience knew back that ass up, man. Seeing seeing a weird, awkward, middle aged white man dance to back Politician. that ass up. Yes. You, you did not you, even you see feel that. Feel like man. the Bernie Sanders campaign were were using I, the black well, group public enemy as a prop? I don't cause Chuck D really fucks with Bernie Sanders. I'm sure he wanted to do it. I don't think it was something like 
I don't think they brought him in and said, Hey, dance for us. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was something he probably may have, may have initiated because he really mm-hmm. fucks with Bernie yeah. Sanders. It wasn't just a money thing. Yeah. But I just feel like a group like public enemy and what they stand for and what they have stood for anti just fucking everything, man. This, this country is bullshit. Anti establishment. That'll be kind of like if almost if dead prez came out and performed at a campaign, man, you can't yeah, have that. I feel dog. You. I feel you. I feel like they're supposed to be revolutionary in a way that you don't support any of this shit. Yeah, I feel you. I totally feel you. I just think that it's really sad that this is just I just think that it's sad that they're falling out like this, man. I don't think it's right, man. And I and I think that when you have a musical relationship, it's more important than your personal BS because Many of our greatest artists have a lot up, have a lot of fucked up personal BS, you know, and I am sure Flavor Flav is one of them. But handle that shit behind closed doors. It felt like the way that they kicked him out was meant to make a statement. And now granted, Flavor Flav started it by having his lawyers send, send out this crazy statement and all that. But I think if I was Chuck D and Public Enemy, I would have not responded to that and just let that stay in the public eye and go handle it behind closed doors. Because I think Public Enemy means more than any personal dispute or professional dispute. You know, they're a legacy act that means a lot to a lot of people. Um, And I think that the Bernie Sanders campaign would have been understanding of them pulling out because they have some internal problems. Yeah. And I think that the Bernie Sanders campaign didn't necessarily need public enemies endorsement. Bernie Sanders campaign has hella support on its own. It doesn't need, I don't think any of the musical acts that have come out to vouch for Bernie Sanders from like the strokes performing to any other artists, to even me talking about them. It doesn't matter. Bernie Sanders' campaign has legs on its own since day one, and it is moving, and in it is moving in the right direction. And it doesn't need millionaire money, billionaire money. It doesn't need celebrity endorsements. It works on its own because it represents the people. And I just, yeah, that's my take on it, man. I'm, and I feel bad. I hope that I hope that Chuck D and Flavor Flav work it out, man. I think it's fucked up. I think it's shameful. It kind of reminds me of the whole Bushwick Bill Willie D thing, man. Mm-hmm. It's sad yeah. that these. Old- I was talking about that with my boy at lunch earlier. Yeah. <laughs> it's just we have uh, Willie D on the other podcast too, man, and it's just sad that I-, I understand how they see it from their perspective. It's like your group means so much to so many people, man. Yeah, like, man. Can you just work it out just to you know for what it means to the generations that came up with you and the ones growing up now who haven't been exposed to you. Like, I, mean, I ain't saying y'all got to be best friends, but it's like for things to get that bad, y'all can't bigger just talk than y'all. about it. It's bigger than y'all, yeah, man. It's, it's bigger than that shit, man. I, I I really believe that when you have a deep musical bond with people, there is no kind of falling out that you can have that should go against what y'all have created and what y'all mean to people. And if you, for whatever reason, need to be called to be in the public light to perform or to speak on your teammates it needs to be positive and be said with love even if you have to dig deep in your nostalgia bag to find that love because it's been lost for a while i just think it's more important like you know like like like, like i was talking about my boy michael lacour blackie on our first tour we had a fucking me and him had beef okay mm. me and him had beef at this one beef Bro. about what it's a it's a long story, but basically it was a miscommunication with our tour manager, and I got into a fight, like almost a literal physical fight oh, with oh, our man. show promoter because he was being rude to me, and he fucking like threatened to call the cops. He like pulled out a crowbar, and I was even more angered that he pulled out a weapon. I started going harder on on him, and it was just like. It was just messy, and Blackie felt like I, I I was fucking up the tour, and he, because on that tour, he was the main act, and I was supporting him, he took me off 
like one or two dates of that tour oh, shit. because he's like, bro, you got to travel on your own. Like, like I'm not feeling the way that the show was handled. I'm like, yo, it was a miscommunication with like the tour manager that even sparked this whole drama because the show promoter was mad at me because he thought that I made a call that our tour manager made. It's stupid shit. But, um, it's my brother. We like worked it out and we did mad shit after that but i'll never forget that like the morning after that we were sitting at this table for like breakfast and we're talking about how like he's gonna take me off these couple shows and like it was me and my boy on the tour and he had him and his boy and like his boy was like talking to my boy for us we we weren't speaking to each other and then i remember after that we was like man we should tell everybody that we had a big falling out because uh to like hype it up and have beef like we kept it pushing man that's my nigga this this shit happens and it can happen to anybody i just think that it doesn't need to be everybody's business and it needs to be handled with grace very true i agree very true man um one more question i had going back to the other one i was asking um so kind of wrapping it up on my end uh like i said you're a middle child you know Mm -hmm. you've been a veteran in the game for a minute um, I think we've seen like a dramatic increase in people retiring suddenly, or at least announcing they're retiring. All these rappers saying, I'm retired, mm-hmm. I'm done with the music biz, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of touring, I'm tired of making albums, I want to be with my family, whatever the reason. Um, How do you stay motivated to stay in this game, man? Because I know it, it, it can be very taxing throughout the years, very demanding from your fan base, and you always feel like you need to provide more and more. So how do you stay motivated to keep evolving your sound and doing what you do on a daily basis. I'm addicted to it. I feel like I have this hole in me that I need to fill and it's full when I stay busy and stay active and keep projects on my plate. I hate being idle. It brings me great joy to make music, especially when it hits people and they feel it. I don't think that I could ever retire. Like, literally, I'll be doing this shit even when no one's looking. Hmm. Even if I'm in my 60s and I'm out the spotlight, I'm going to be DJing and rapping at my house, annoying my kids and they kids and all kind of shit, man. Like, this, this is what I do. I love this shit. I did this shit since the moment I found out about it, you know? And whether or not the industry gives me a headache or not isn't going to deter me from doing what i do okay respectful answer man i respect that for sure for sure think you got any last questions man i'm good man thank you for coming yes sir yes sir fun to hang with y'all man y'all the shit we be trying man next time you come back to houston man you gotta come back here man yeah man yo anytime man i will be back man i come through every time i drop a project i got a new album out right now called wake up it's on car park records that's why I'm here playing shows. And I have another new album coming out on Car Park October 23rd. And I'll be okay. back in this motherfucker talking shit again All around right. then. Yes, All sir. Right. We're going to hold you to that, man. We're Holla gonna at hold me. you to that for sure. Holla at me, man. Holla at Rob. He know where to find me. <laughs> yes. Shout out oh, yeah, to Paytex Rob, man. Rob, man. Paytex Rob came through and hooked everybody up, man. Made this whole thing happen. So our biggest supporter, one of our biggest people we fuck with, man. So really appreciate you, man. Thank you for everything you do, bro, for sure. <laughs> and uh, we can find you on Twitter and, and Instagram. Where? Yes, at Fat Tony Rap, F-A-T-T-O-N-Y-R-A-P. Ain't no S on the internet, motherfucker. Just <laughs> okay. holler at me, man. DM me, message me, tweet at me. Like, I love to talk about music, man. You know what I like. I, I'm obsessed with rap music. I love funk. I love Prince. I love punk. I love all kind of art, man. Fuck yes. with a nigga, man. I'm out here living my best life. <laughs> you really are, man. And yeah, like, I will admit, I, I wasn't too familiar until I started doing research for this interview. Dog, you, you really got some dope shit, man. You really is a good, great rapper. Man. It ain't great never artist. too late, bro. It ain't so, never too late. Anybody to listening, hip. if you ain't know about Fat Tony, man, definitely check him out. He's on all streaming platforms. Check out his projects, man. They're Houston's really good own. Houston's own homegrown. Represent man, third war, you did. Yes. Really appreciate appreciate you having you here, bro. And uh yeah, we're gonna sign out now. So for Jasmine, Jasmine had to bounce real quick, but you know, she'll be back next time. And we'll continue from there, man. Appreciate you again. Thank you, man. Peace.